Uh, today on the podcast, we have Isaac. Isaac is a friend of mine. Full disclosure, he was an investor in one of my companies. Um, someone that I've had to work with both professionally and uh, at a social level. I don't know if you say work with someone at a social level, but I said it. Um, and uh, and this was a really interesting insight into mental health in the VC entrepreneurship world. And uh, really, really enjoyed talking to him. Yeah. And it was for me, Topher, it was, uh, it made me hopeful. It made me honestly, it made me hopeful for the future. Uh, like he's on the cutting edge of kind of what's what people are considering because they're on the forefront of investing in, in new companies. So um, his perspective on mental health and, and the importance that it sounds like people are putting on it <clears throat> in that world um, gave me a lot of hope for the future. So uh, I hope everyone enjoys listening to it. Um, yeah, have a listen. Yeah, and please enjoy. Responsibly. Welcome to Tea Talks. I'm one of your hosts, Topher. And I'm one of your other hosts, Jamie. Each week, we're sitting down with a fellow human to discuss the importance of men talking. Some of our guests are going to have gritty, difficult stories to listen to, and some are going to have stories that might seem a little less intense. So brew yourself a nice cup of tea and listen along. Love you all. Love you all. The reason that I wanted to talk to you is my my own experience is having anxiety and panic attacks, uh, very much related to like work and life and um, and the stress associated with that. Um, your background is in venture capital. Um, and you see a huge range of entrepreneurs coming through the door that you're talking to. And, um, I'm just, I'm interested to talk to you about the experience you have with those entrepreneurs, um, whether or not people are up front with mental health, your perspective on all of that. And we have kind of a bunch of questions that we, we can run through. We can also just have a discussion on this. Um, and yeah, like where, when that, you know, when those, when people come to you and when those, those companies come across your desk and you find out about these things, are people up front with these, with, with what they're dealing with? Um, is this something you're seeing a lot? You know, we deal with burnout and hustle culture and like so much stuff that doesn't often get talked about, especially when there's a power dynamic, when money's involved. So I just thought it'd be really interesting to talk to you about that. Obviously, you've invested in full disclosure, you've invested in companies that I've had um, that are no longer around. Um, and at the time, I don't know how much I shared with you about what I was going through with my own mental health, but you're no longer an investor of mine. But, uh, but when you were, there's certainly like a power differential there. Uh, if I was saying to James, joking with him, like, I'm excited to have this conversation with you because there's no, there's no strings attached, you know, <laughs> you sort of in a way couldn't have this conversation <laughs> yeah. early before. Okay. So I totally, um, get the context love what you guys are doing with the with the brand with this whole you know the, the, these are important areas and pretty much like you could never talk enough about these sort of, sort of things and in fact we don't even come close to to talking enough especially you know i think men do do it less because of all these sort of social societal reasons so and cultural reasons so yeah I'm totally up for it should i should i should i intro a little bit more what what, yeah. I, what i've done okay yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So anyway, really glad to be here. Talk about these issues. My my, I've had two halves of my career. The first was in product management, so I was on the the front lines, either in big corporates or in startups. And you know, product managers coordinate with the rest of the company, especially engineers and designers, but but really the entire company to ship products that are valuable and and that move the needle for some number, but you know, better retention or you know, making more money or whatever the goal is of, of that product, a better engagement. So I spent a long time doing that, loved it, uh, and and can bring in some of those experiences and what what my experience was as a as a corporate employee, as a startup employee, and where where the stress is and where the challenge is. But then, as Topher said, switched over on the other side. Now, about um, <clears throat> six, seven years ago, mostly uh, spent my investment time at a firm called Real Ventures, which is a very early stage, high volume firm. I was running our accelerator, Founder Fuel, which invested a hundred around a hundred k per company, and we did like thirty of those investments while I was there. One of one of which being uh, Topher's company, Porpoise. Uh, so did very, very high volume. Uh, and then you you engage for a short but intense time with the companies. They're in a program for three months and then you stick with them. But I also did more traditional VC 
it, it's come to be called pre-seed investing. So first check investing, usually rounds under a million dollars. So we, we were often leading the rounds. So we were like the first, not the first believer, because there was also all usually angel investors or friends and family or or some other people before us, but by certain maybe the first institutional believer in the companies and often sometimes joining around, but sometimes you know, rallying others to join the round, sometimes taking a board seat, sometimes an observer seat, sometimes just being a close advisor. And so I did about 15 of, of those investments. That, so manage kind of 15 of those relationships where, you know, sort of as, as Topher alluded to, you write the check and then you're there alongside the, the founder and you play different roles for different founders. And sometimes you're a coach and sometimes you're a cheerleader and sometimes you're, you know, their board member. And sometimes you're, you know, pushing them to get you better reporting or sometimes you're helping them think through strategy. So it's a, it's a multifaceted, can be very intimate. You know, sometimes you do get very deep with the founder. Sometimes it's much, it is more superficial and business-like. So, so every relationship is different. And now I've just joined an, another firm, Pender Ventures, a little bit later stage in the VC ecosystem, uh, Series A. So you're writing bigger checks, having fewer portfolio companies and being more engaged with them and, and most likely having even more you know, intimate and 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 deep relationships, but again, every every situation is different. Um, so that's the summary of of what I've been up to and and where I stand on this on this conversation. Should I jump in on the topic of of, of founder stress because I do have uh, some opinions on it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Because I think like what we're trying to push and what we've found is that like just people almost need permission or like you said, like you alluded to before, like men, there is a stigma. You can't talk about it. So I know Topher's itching to hear what you have to say. I'll I'll go right in because sometimes, you know, especially uh, some people have my profile, they've been either a founder entrepreneur or, or an employee in these companies. And then they've, then they switch over and become an investor. And so often this comes up as like, so, you know, which is easier or harder or how are they different? And often, you know, Everyone has their own opinion, but but for me, I often tell people like it's not two or three times harder to be a founder or or early employee. And founder is really the biggest stress, and CEO CEO is the biggest stress within the founder group. It's not two or three times harder; it's like ten times harder. Um, so how could that be, right? Like how could it be ten times harder when you know every like. It's not like I, I I don't work ten hours a week as an investor. I also work fifty hours a week, and, and, or whatever. Maybe the the founders are doing sixty or, or seventy sometimes. But yeah. but the discrepancy is not there. It's it's not in hours worked. So where is the discrepancy? One, it's in financial risk, right? Which is a, which is a source of stress, right? So the founder is all in on their one project. If it goes well, it's a big reward. If it goes badly, maybe they toiled away for four or five, six years without getting paid very well, without generating savings. Founders are often paid much less because they have this upside. So so, so for, from the near term, how much money you're making and how steady your cash flow is, and from the long term, how risky is the financial move you're making as a founder, that's a huge... Um, aspect of the difference uh, because it's just so much f- financial stress is stress. Like it's not the only kind, yeah. but it's a big kind. And so, so half of that, let's say as much as half of this difference comes from the fact that this one person is taking an enormous financial risk and, and the other person much less. So now I will say it's interesting VCs, as opposed to say, well compensated, you know, corporate employees do take more financial risk. We invest in our funds, the payoffs, the big payoffs are in the long run. So, so we're in the middle of the risk spectrum, but versus versus other people. But the founders are way over here, like two <laughs> standard deviations away. So, so, so point one, founders take a normal, enormous financial risk, and that is what creates so much pressure and can lead to stress and anxiety, depression, and all these other things. Number two, the founder is not just in it for themselves. The bigger the company it is. Uh, and the more successful it is, the more you are responsible for feeding those mouths, looking after those people, making payroll. You know, you've brought them in, you've convinced them, and they've all often, especially in your first 10, 20 employees, made somewhat similar sacrifices. Like, well, I could have gotten a better job in this other company, but I'm going to come in here, I'm going to get paid the half, but but I'm going to get equity in the company. And they're, you're, you're trying to get them aligned with your mission. Hey, hey we can do this everybody, we can be successful. So, so now 
that's on you too as a founder. And just having having them getting paid and having them be said the promises you made to them. You have the investors that you brought in. You have the your family and the people who've made sacrifices. If you've had to, you know, like if your partner is doing the earning for for your family or or you're less available for your for your you know your yeah. your friends and family. So so all of that is on the founder, but especially the, the, the health and well-being of the other people who work for the company and the success of the company. Those two combined things mean that, you know, even though the VC and the founder wake up, you know, put their, you know, put their fleece vest on or whatever they're wearing, <laughs> run, run, for, run for 50 hours that week and get stuff done and get on calls and send emails. The founder is wearing like a, like a, a weighted fleece vest that has like, like yeah, 100 yeah. kilograms of stress and, and pressure the VC less so. And so that's how I think of the difference between these jobs. I can talk about the stresses for what a venture capitalist does because we have our own and I even referred to them. But that founder thing is is a heavy, heavy emotional load. And I mean, I haven't seen everything in the world, but of all the jobs that I've seen, I kind of think it's the heaviest load. Now, maybe big time, big shot corporate CEO. Sure is another yeah. version of that but but i kind of feel like that's much less lonely you have 20 lieutenants and you've got all this other stuff but i don't want to speak to that i don't know a lot yeah. of big corporate sure. ceos but the founder journey is yeah. is you know, especially in the in the first 10 or 20 hires so i'll stop there so that's my kind of riff I, on it i i think from from my perspective too like from from my experience like you have all the additional um, stress and stress and pressure that you mentioned. And that was something for me, like I first experienced my, like my first panic attack was after we had just raised, um, a small round. We hired a bunch of people. I had, I, I was quite comfortable being financially poor. <laughs> and I, I, I have a lot of experience in that prior to starting a company. So that wasn't a huge stress for me, even with having a family, it was once I had the responsibility of other people, that's when it really started to feel like, like I, I was sort of in a sort of pressure cooker. Um, I, I think the added piece is I felt like the expectation for me as a as a founder or a CEO um, was above probably what my skill set was. So I was constantly trying to like learn and be better at what I was doing. Um, and where my fear, like where my fear stemmed from, and where I like sort of didn't tell anyone about like the anxiety and the panic attacks and everything I was dealing with was I was terrified that the investors who would either put money in the company or the employees that had trusted me wouldn't follow along, um, quite literally, like wouldn't be part of the company once they found out that I was a fraud, right? Even though, you know, I wasn't a fraud, but that's how I felt like, right? I was terrified that I was going to, everyone was going to lose their houses and, you know, that, and that was my responsibility and my my realization or or what i what i thought was that my the weakness of anxiety would be the downfall of all of those other things and yeah i think that, to be vulnerable it was too dangerous it was too yeah much, it was too much at risk to be vulnerable and that's a yeah that's what we're trying to discourage you know like i for sure, just for hearing sure. you talk about it, Topher, like I can hear it in your voice. Like that was, those were heavy, heavy times in your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think Isaac, like a, a question back at you, like with like with knowing that, like, is, is that something like when you guys are putting money into a company, are you recognizing that the people who are who are taking those taking that money, like they're you know, we have to say like you invest in the founder, you don't necessarily invest in the idea or the company, right? Um, are you, is your expectation that that person is going to sort of figure it all out and may not have all the answers and is going to be able to ask for help when they need help, no matter what that problem is? Or so, do you think there's a limit to it? Well, so, so yes, like what, what is, what is the bet uh, at any stage <clears throat> that when you're making these investments, whether it's accelerator or it, angel investment or seed or, or series a, I would say there, there might be some exceptions, but mostly you're looking at the founding team or the key executive team, however they're defined. And within that, especially the CEO, the leader of the company, sometimes there's two leaders, but, but whatever, so some, someone's at the top and you're saying, 
I think these people can do it. And by do it, it's exactly what you said, scale with the size of the opportunity and with the success of the company. So, so you added another vector to the to the, the way this weight gets heavier, and it's a really important vector. The vector is time. And at, if you are lucky to be successful, lucky or good or whatever, you raise capital, you hire more people, you have an executive team, what's being asked of you as the leader keeps going up. You're, you're asking to move from, from grade school to secondary school to post-secondary to graduate school. Like, like, and there are people who do it. So, so we, we know it is possible to go from pre-seed investment to IPO and retain your seat as the, as the CEO. And we, I don't have to list off all the examples I've done that. So, so the bet is in the best state of the world. If you're, you know, VCs, whether they write it out this way, are modeling different scenarios. Okay, this would be like a good outcome. This would be a great outcome. That They always think, what could be the great outcome? And the great outcome is a very great outcome. Like this company does really, really right. well and, and either sells via M&A or goes public. And the best version of that outcome is the CEO or leadership team got us there because otherwise it decreases your chances. Like if you, yes, it was a good company, a good product or whatever, but it turned out those people couldn't scale with the opportunity because they reached an area where they were out of their depth. And now we're switching them around and he or she is like stepping down or taking a different role. Possible happens all the time. You can still get to the end of the line and be successful with that, but it does make it harder. It's much better if the team member you went in there is the one who could do it. So, so the expectation is that yes, there's a possibility that this is going to happen. There's a this, uh, some investments are more based on the team, and it's really a bet on the on the founding team. So, some investments are a little bit more based on, say, the intellectual property or, or other things. But always, you are betting on the founding team. So yes, there is the expectation in terms of you know what is expected from the founder in terms of of highlighting their gaps of reaching out for help, of, of even talking about times where they're struggling, the expectation, and this is why it's such a heavy, difficult role, the expectation is that you will do that, that you will that you will be transparent about it. Certainly on the, hey, I need help with this. I'm not good enough at financial reporting. I need a coach uh, on mm. this. I need help on sales. And I think increasingly the expectation is also that if you're having issues and you're saying, hey, you know, like, like I'm not at my best this week or whatever, like, of course, that's the expectation. What's the alternative? Like, don't tell me what's going on with you, but kind of like, you know, ghost me or, or like not be as present or whatever. So we're, of course, expecting that the information is flowing. Is that a fair expectation? You know, it's, it's a tough expectation to reach, especially the last part. It is a, it's a fair expectation to say, hey, we didn't expect that you would be good at everything. Right. You have to identify where your gaps are. But that still takes a lot of, of self-knowledge and, and, and maturity. The other part is, is, is and, and we say we want it. How good are we at, at facilitating it? How good are we at creating spaces where that can happen? How good are we at you know, cr- creating support? for the founder. So they don't just have to do that with us who also happens to be their board member and their investor or whatever, a huge wide range, a spectrum of how good investors are at supporting that. And, and so, so that I'll stop there, but that's kind of the the lay of the land as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I have to say like, from my experience working with you at real, I did feel like real ventures was a very safe, like group of people. Um, you guys were not prickly investors. You weren't people who I was terrified to talk to. And, and I think that might, that's down to a number of, a number of things. It's mainly great people that work there. I have a very good relationship with you and, and everyone else that was there. Um, and also I think there's so, there's so many companies that are going through that like the shame around failure wasn't highlighted. Um, I think I've been, th- I've been through three accelerators and they each have varying levels of call it like um, philosophy. I think with with Founder Fuel, there certainly wasn't an emphasis on like um, exponential success. There wasn't. It wasn't all about that. It was about like founder first, like focusing on the the core team and giving them the support that they need. I don't think that that amounts to support around mental health, and I just I don't think that's a fault of the of the organization. I just don't think that it was a conversation at, at that point. And this was like five years ago. Um, I, I, I agree, and I'll just say like like. You know, a couple of things about real founder oriented firm, founder first, very comfortable with failure, understanding like like clear swing for the fences firm, 
so all of those things were true, and that that helped us already be a better partner than some to our founders. But what does it mean to be founder first and founder friendly is something that that I think like it's constantly changing. And one of the biggest things that was happening over those five years and continues to be happening is understanding this particular issue. Oh, it's not enough to just be available and not be a jerk when things go wrong (laughs) and, and stuff like that. You actually have to be proactive. What do you have to be proactive about? A, you have to be proactive about helping founders uh, fill their gaps. You you might expect them to scale very rapidly, but you can't believe that they're going to A, do it on their own or B, have everything under control without your help. So do it without a mental breakdown. Exactly. <laughs> but that's about getting people coaches. That's about getting people skills training. That's about being very active as an advisor and, and strategist to say, hey, Looks like you might need some help with this thing. I'm going to help you out. So that's at the skills and and ability level. But the other thing that started to reveal itself over the last five years, because people were telling us this and because people are running podcasts like this and sort of uh, uh, bringing it to the fore was, no, no, no. This is a high pressure thing. People need emotional and mental support as part of it. What are you doing as an investor to, to, to provide that? And that was hard. Like I, we used to have discussions, for example, just as a way to see how this crystallizes. We go, oh, this is important. You know, it takes us years and we go, oh, this is important. So maybe when we write a, when we write a check into a company, we should mandate that 1% of the money goes into, you know, mental health support for the founding team. But then the problem is that's not our money anymore. And actually telling people, you know, this is what you have to spend the money on is is not exactly the right vibe. The the most successful VC firms that are the most committed to this project have said, we will give you another $10,000 or whatever the number is for mental health support out of our management fees, out of our money. Now that's a, that's a gold standard, right? We're saying, we care so much about this, we will pay for it. But most firms don't have that much money. Most most firms can't do that. So so even once it arises and you realize that it's important, there are limitations to what you can do. At the least, you can be aware of it and and make it make it an open thing. But it but but it brings back to to Topher's point that he's made a couple of times. Like we are not we aren't always the ideal person to provide that support. Um, so so part of it, I guess, is work. This is my hypothesis. Is part of it is being open enough with the founders. To make it clear to them, this is important, but we don't expect us to be the only people to support you. But And if you do need support, you need to take it in your hands, right? Because the founder is the, the chief of their own destiny. Like, like we, you know, we want you to do that. Like, you, you need mo- emotional, mental support. We might not be able to pay for it, but we can tell you that it's important. And we could, for example, provide you with a list of people who can, who can help you out and who have expertise. Yeah. So, so I Isaac, what I'm what I'm hearing there is um, is first of all, it's awesome. I, I didn't realize that. I guess VCs were like, uh, it's so funny coming from this side and talking with Topher. Like, there's the vibe that like if if a founder presents is present or like comes to an investor or comes to um, somebody who's given the money and says like I'm struggling and I've got, you know, a mental health thing that I need help dealing with you guys aren't turning off the taps necessarily you guys aren't that's not an immediate red flag if someone is vulnerable like that's the whole thing is people it's very difficult to be vulnerable especially when like you said that somebody has cut you a check um and and i just want to say it makes me hopeful for humanity to hear that you guys not only are are hoping that people will be open with you but are like looking at ways to be resourceful around supporting individuals that you have invested in it's not necessarily a weakness and that you're going to cut ties and run it's um it, it's something that you expect of these pe- uh, of people who are under this amount of stress like like you said it was the worst sales pitch uh if you're trying to convince people to be a CEO of a startup I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> uh, I did yeah. well I mean first of all thank you for saying that it it is well, well, it, I guess it was a bad sales pitch in that way, but I, it's, it's maybe the same sales pitch that you would get for an extreme marathon event 
Oh, or, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, the people who are going to do it aren't going to be the amazing. Appalachian Trail. You're like, really? And then no, no, like, absolutely. It's like, if, yeah. it's like, well, actually, it turns out that there's incredible bliss. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I, I, only, I meant that. I meant that facetiously. If someone was talked out of it by what you said, they weren't going to do it. They anyway. don't want to do it anyway. So, so I think. Look, it, it, the the first thing in a, in any in any sort of area uh, or or uh, of endeavor is awareness, and I think real in particular. But many firms now, like 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 people get the hint. You know what I mean? If good folks talk about it, uh, and and I, I remember, you know, just as an example, right? Like you take a company. Um, from our, from the real ventures portfolio uh called benchside benchside is a is a biotech uh sort of software software for for biotech helping them uh all sorts of ways make drug development more efficient and a pretty successful company uh with very cool ip it's moved fast it's grown it's raised money and it's led by this guy Lerone, who's a very intense hard hitting hard driving founder he's he's israeli he's you know served his time in the military he's he's no joke and yet, you know, he he got religion on this topic. Uh, I don't know enough about his background to know. And he he went all in as a founder and and as a leader of his team to for him to have coach and mental health support and provide that to all of his team members and put it in the culture Bible and write articles and, and make it a selling point of the company to get new people to come in. And so you get people like that, not just doing it, but then posting about it and making noise about it, that sort of normalizes it. Yeah. And it's like, Hey, this is, this is, this is not weakness. This is strength. Strength is, tr- is transparency. It's openness. It's understanding that, 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 that life is hard. And, and, and I think, you know, this could get a little bit out of my depth, but, but I consider anxiety and depression kind of like one of these you know, accelerating ills of the of the modern age, right? Like we've never been more prosperous, but but there's other things that come with prosperity. And this is is one of those things. And I see this a lot. This is a, a different subject area with like I have a 13-year-old daughter and a and a an 11 year old son. And this is it's sort of rampant among teenagers and college my, my wife is a college professor. So the level of 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 um sort of mental health issues that she sees with with her students. So so I kind of see this as 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 a little bit like the 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 nature of our existence today it's it's more an issue than it ever has been and so you have to kind of appreciate that especially back to this extreme sport that we're playing in where it's like well if it's hard to just you know get up and do your job regularly imagine how hard it is with all this stuff sitting on your head and and so you you sort of you've got to be aware of it um from the from the investment side from the founder side like everybody's got to being successful about managing it in all of the ways that you can uh, as a leader, as an individual, as a, as a stakeholder is, is challenging uh, and hard, hard to get right. And takes time, resources, you know, and, and, and sort of a focus on that problem. Yeah. That, that example that you just provided of that founder um, putting in all those, um, those different programs in his company. Uh, one of the cool things, if you think about that from the outside is he would have had to get investor buy-in in order to spend money on all of that stuff. So he would have had to sell that to the board and he would have had to um, kind of go through the ranks in order to make sure that that was, that was kind of okay. Um, so he would have gotten sign off from everyone that that's a good use of funds. And when you're in like a fast scaling business, it's, it's pretty hard sometimes to direct funds away from sort of your main revenue generating activities. And you know, but mental health, obviously he highlighted that that was something that was going to contribute to success in the business. If everyone is, is, is feeling safer inside their company and is able to talk and is open. Um, so that's a huge win. That's really, really cool. Um, absolutely. He'd be, he'd be yeah. a good, um, uh, he'd be a good guy for this podcast. He'd have, he'd have very, uh, wise things to share. And that yeah, he worked with a, a woman uh, whose name, I think her first name is Carrie. I can't remember her full name. But she, you know, there's a. She, this is her practice as a as a psychologist to mm. focus in on on companies and not, mind you, not coaching, which has also become huge. And I do think coaching. I think of coaching as closing the skills gap and helping you scale as 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 a leader and a, as a business person. And of course, if you do that, you will have less anxiety and stress because you'll feel sort of in control of your destiny. But no, she's like, this is about mental health within these companies and providing counseling and, 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 and support. Uh, and, and so she'd also be a great 
guest as someone yeah. who works with um works with founders and works with team members yeah that's really cool yeah is that something we, when we were talking about this a, a few minutes ago we we're talking about like uh, the support that that real and founder fuel were um were looking at is that something that has ever been discussed as bringing in like a you know how you bring in like bdo and you bring in all like the different services to help support companies that would be an amazing service to bring in to support uh support businesses and show kind of upfront that like hey this is something that we recognize we care about um and if you come to us we did it and so this was the other thing that was happening at real ventures at the time uh especially in the last couple of years i was there led by john stokes who's now the the managing partner was this deep dive into conscious leadership which is a which is a you know a, a kind of within this domain, and, and it's about a, emotional awareness and and self control and and how people interact, and it's a kind of a cool body of knowledge and, and a cool community that's working. I won't say quite in the mental health area, but 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 in the in the you know hu, you know human behavior and 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 teamwork and 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 self development area. So we did the, all of these uh, seminars as a group, as real ventures, like like a whole year of training and offsites and stuff. And we got, we got very deep into it. Uh, super interesting for us as, as individuals and a way, a way for us to help, help us develop as people and uh, to become better investors and better supporters of all these companies. And so after we did that and we got into it, and this was sort of our flavor of, of these issues, I remember we were running, I, I think it was, I can't remember which founder fuel cohort I had actually stepped away I think Katie Yam, who's who's now you know a partner at Real and 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 was um was the GM of Founderfield. She had stepped in because I had done it for a few years and actually basically burnt out, which I'm happy to, to talk about that too. Because yeah. I kind of like went for too much there. So 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 she took over Founderfuel. And one thing, because we had been doing all of this conscious leadership stuff, said, hey, let's bring this to the Founderfuel people. Like, let's I can't remember exactly who she brought in. But she, but she had some speakers and we did some programming around it and, and tried to get some exposure. This is a three-month program, so you can't do that much, but you can do a little bit. And it was so cool because some of the most, let's call them, you know, harder-edged, business-like or, or, or what you perceive to be kind of like business-like founders would be like, yeah, well, that, you know, that stuff's not for me. Like, I'm here to you know, get product and make money. They were like, that was the best thing that you all did for me in the program. Wow. And in general, that's what people said. Because the thing is, what, what Founder Fuel has to meet people where they are and, and create value. And six, seven, eight years ago, just telling people about CAC LTV or lean startup or you know, iterative product development, sort of stuff like that was, was highly valuable. Now it's a little bit in the water. Like people do know a lot of the techniques. So you have to sort of update your playbook. What do these people not know about? Or, or where, and, and here you come in and say, hey, let's talk about founder stress. Let's talk about self-awareness, emotional control, uh, 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 emotional dynamics between your team. And people, it's not like people are not experiencing that. They might not all have the vocabulary for it, depending mm-hmm. on what their background was. So, so it was so eye-opening. You're bringing these people in. You're telling them, I want you to make money and grow the company. But then you bring them this other content, which is which <laughs> is very personal. And they're like, that's what I needed, not just to get through the day, but that's what I needed to be a better founder and a, and a more successful leader. So, so, so now these are small little bite-sized things. And the, the great thing about accelerators as distinct from venture capital investments, which happen later in the cycle, accelerators, you have programming, they expect to get some speakers and to be taught some things. So it's a little bit easier to say, hey, this is what's on our mind and you should think about it. VCs have it a little bit harder because we don't have as much, like we can't be like, so now I would like you to watch this video. <laughs> uh, and, and we do, but 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 by the way, Real Ventures on the same topic and shows you what you can do. We, we were running for a while and I assume they're still doing some version of it. Founder, you know, two day, uh, founder seminars for fund companies that we had recently funded. Same thing. We would, once we got into conscious leadership, we would talk to them about conscious leadership, and they'd go, "This is the best thing that you you talk, told us about because it's new and we haven't heard it from other people." So, so, wow. so you, you, a little bit goes a long way, and I think we did have a success uh, in getting that cycle of like be aware of it, gain some mastery over it yourself, take it seriously. And then try to bring it to the founders and try to be a positive 
source of, of guidance and, and, and frameworks and structure for those founders. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, again, just like the point of you guys as investors saying to founders um, and entrepreneurs in general, that like it's it's okay to need support in this area, right? Like that's, I think is like the, the underlying message, like the, the value that people get from that is sort of twofold. One is the actual content that they receive in that seminar. But this, the second piece, which is more subtle and, and subconscious is that as investors, like you're not, you, you, you're providing this service. You're, you don't think that it's weak for them to need this, this added layer of coaching and support that, Typically in the past, we've sort of said, oh, you can deal with that yourself or just like brush it off. It's not, you know, you're, you're strong. You're, you should be able to handle this without someone else. Tough it out. Uh, No, it's it's not that way. Um, I have another, I have another topic that I can rip riff on, but do you, do you have some other questions that you want us to get to? Um, I I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you experience burnout. Sure. Uh, We're talking about that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So, so, so I, I came to VC from the operating side. So, so I'm like, I'm an operator, like I ship, like I I can get stuff done, you know, that's part of my personal brand. And, and so then when we were starting this, this, it was two partners in this fund, me and Sylvain and, and the fund was, was a $30 million fund or $31 million fund. And we inherited the founder fuel brand and investment machine for, for sort of complicated reasons about how real ventures raises money and who it raises money for. But we were like the lucky beneficiaries of this incredible machine that is like great for making money. It's a, it's a very proven investment strategy because you invest in lots of companies and the best ones come up. It's super interesting way to interact with founders, to build your brand, to make connections. So it's just like, a, it's a gloriously awesome thing. And, and we got it. So, but there was a, there was a price. (laughs) What was the price? Someone had to run it. Someone had to be the GM and we didn't have enough money coming into this fund to say, oh, Sylvain and and Isaac, you can be the partners in the fund and we'll hire another person to be the general manager of Founderfield. That's expensive, but no problem because I was like an operator. So I was like, I'll just do everything. And in (laughs) fact, I was, I was, I was thrilled to have the opportunity because it's also a great learning um, environment for a new investor. You're writing all these checks very small checks, very fast, meeting lots of companies, seeing how they develop. So, so I was like, wow, what a great way for me to learn as, as the same time I'm doing sort of slightly larger checks into, into companies that are a little bit further on. So I'm like, I'm in. And first year, no problem. I don't have any portfolio companies. So Founder Feels my number one priority. Let's go. Let's make the investments. Let's, you know, overhaul the program in this way. It's going great. Like I'm getting the hang of it. Did some good things, did some bad things. Made some made some investments as well. So now I have a portfolio. R- roll it forward a year. Now I have four or five companies. No problem. I'm ready. Let's let's do another cohort. I learned so much from the last cohort. Let's do it this way. Let's do it that way. And I'm still making investments on this. I shouldn't say on the side because it's actually my main main job to do these pre-seed investments. Now roll it forward a year. Now and by the way, John in particular, you know, because he could see. Like I was doing everything to the 110th degree at Real Ventures, you know, because it's sort of my nature. So it was Founder Fuel. It was it was it was community stuff. I got involved with Front Row Ventures. I was trying to meet every company I could. I could. I was filling up my calendar 35 hours a week. And he's like, "You're gonna burn out." And I'm like, "I'm I'm uh, I'm unbeatable. Like I, it's impossible that I would burn out." And I've come from these startups and all this stuff. Year three. We're, we're sourcing for Founder Fuel. In fact, we we have sourced all the companies and it was even, I believe that was the year. Yeah, it was, it was a brutal sourcing year because for various reasons, a lot of the companies that we had sourced and got to our, you know, top uh, of the, of the list. And we had even made them offers like half of them didn't take the offer for, they got money from some, someone else, or we got beat out by another accelerator. So it was like a, like a tough version, just a little bit, you know, bad luck of the draw. I'm still doing deals. I have like 10, 12 portfolio companies. Front Row Ventures is, is now, you know, growing and becoming a bigger thing. This is the student VC fund. Yeah. And like, I am at my wits end and not quite realizing it. And I'm, I'm starting to, to run down and not, you know, and people can see it, you know, and it happens in meetings. You, you sort of, you, you sort of lash out at somebody or, or you just, you're like, I'm having a terrible, you know, you, you let it out. Cause I'm not, I was not good at, it's not like I was telling everybody. I was like, I was classically like, 
keep it inside, wake up earlier, yeah. shoot that thing. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you got this, man. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. And, Stop it down. and, and so finally they're like, Whoa, man, like you, it seems like you're overloaded and they could see objectively. It's not like there wasn't data to say like, Whoa, you are doing a lot. And, and so John was like, what could I, you know, what could I take off your plate? Like, and don't think about the, what you think is possible. Just say what you actually want. And, and I was like, I don't want to do the next cohort. Like it's so, I had already sourced it, but I was like, I don't want to run it. I don't want to show up at those events. I don't want to do the one-on-ones with the founders. I, I don't have enough of myself to give as a cheerleader, as a strategist, because you're in there with every company and you're like helping them set their, their OKRs and you're helping them uh, uh, prepare their pitch. It's super intense. And it's on you. The demo day is your companies. People are like, Hey, nice companies. Or they're like, that's (laughs) fucked, you know? And so, so, so he was like done and he did. And, you know, to to John's great credit, because in many ways he really, you know, did so much for me there and looked out for me and we, we moved it around and, and Sylvain also to his amazing credit, because he'd already run the program for years he stepped up to run it. And it was a little bit about running it by committee. He didn't want to do it either. He'd done it for so many years and he was also very busy, but you know, the firm decided to, to, to rearrange it. And, and, and so that was my way out. And that got me down to a level that I was no longer, you know, overextended to the point. And I wasn't, you know, what is burnout? I don't really know, but to me, maybe there's like, there's like burning really hot. And then there's like fundamental burnout. Like, I don't want to do this job anymore. I don't like it. I don't feel gratified by it. That was not the case. I loved the job. I took incredible amounts of energy from it and still do today. It was more just like, I've literally taken on more than I can do well. And it's, and it's crushing me. So that, so, so I was rescued by my team. Um, And then actually we, you know, it was at that point after Sylvain staying in saying, you know, if you if we want to keep doing Founder Fuel, and and get all the benefits of this incredible investment machine, we can't keep doing what we 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 are breaking the the same rules that we give to our founders. We <laughs> we are we are getting people to do more than that than is reasonably possible. We are going to trend them towards burnout. We need to hire a general manager and commit our own firm resources to this program, and that's why we hired Katie and. That's why, I mean, now it's been a bit on pause because of other things for Real Ventures. She stepped in and took it to another level because she had, you know, the energy and the bandwidth and the excitement and and is also just an incredibly capable and talented person. So that's kind of the whole story. And and I think as burnout stories go, it's pretty mild, uh, right? Because I kind of got bailed out, but nevertheless... I think there's a, I think there's a really interesting lesson there though. Is like you, you did get bailed out, but you got bailed out because someone within your organization recognized sort of all of the symptoms of burnout. Right. And, and they had the the confidence in the position to say, Hey, how can we support you? You're a great employee. You're a great partner. You're, you know, you're an asset to this team. Um, how can we support you so that a, we don't lose you B we don't lose the program um, and C, you know, how can we just make, make sure that things are okay? Um, and I, I bet that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I bet that you had a huge fear of going to anyone else before they came to you because you didn't want to seem weak and you didn't want to seem like you were unable to do the job. Um, when reality, in reality, you hit a point where you, you couldn't do everything you would do. And maybe I would have, you know, raised my hand, but I certainly don't think I did and instead waited for someone. And so, yeah, you got to look out for your people. And, and you know, when like, you know, you hit it when you're like, so do you have any issues? They're like, yes. Like, yeah. you know, like I'm absolutely drowning over here. And, uh, and so that was, um, that was, a uh, yeah, I learned a lot in that process about myself, about, about, about other people and about, you know, how things could like that can go down. Yeah. I mean, that's great. Like a really, really great thing that John was able to do for you is to provide you with support there. And I think that that's like um, a lot of this conversation has been about how like you as a venture capitalist, like in a position of power, um, simple things that you do can support the entrepreneur to give them permission to either ask for help or or seek help themselves. Um, I think that is that's a really great example of how it's not always about um, society teaching people to ask for help. It's also about us as men reaching out to our friends and saying like, hey, like you look like you're fucking overwhelmed. Like, is there something you need? 
like, is it just, is it just a conversation you need to have? Is it, if you're at work, is it like support that I can offer you? And like, I know when I went to Dan and Denis, um, when I was, when I was like burnt out, um, I went to them, but I, I think if I'd waited much longer, they probably would have come to me as well. Uh, but as soon as I did go to them, the first thing that they asked me was like, what can I do to relieve the stress and relieve the pressure? Like, what can I take on that's going to make your life better? Um, and that my biggest fear was that they were going to say, fuck you, like move over. We're going to take control. Right. That was my biggest fear, but that was not what they did. And the same in your situation, John went to you, Isaac, how can we like, how can we help you? What do you need? And you were like, fuck, thank God. And I think it is, you know, the, the hardest people to go to are the people who rely on you and who, who you rely on, but, but you got it. That's gotta be a part of it because and they are almost always they're going to say exactly what what you what you just said almost every time like people are good and they're they're going to look out for you but it's very hard you got to be brave uh and then the other thing which i also think i did in a very mediocre way you got to have people outside of it uh it can be your spouse but 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 i found it was it was hard right one thing is you know he or she and she in, in my case is also looking for you to to deliver on all of this stuff and both in work and, and at the home. And, and, and so, you know, and maybe there, there's a whole other thing, you know, like of, of how well that, that relationship is going. So, so can your spouse help you with all of this at work stuff? You know, maybe, but maybe like, but, but maybe he or she isn't the best position. And then you've got, you know, friends, but, but it's like, how close are you with them and how comfortable are you to sort of take it beyond the like, Hey, let's go for a bike ride kind of level of friendship. And, and, you know, especially men with like activity based friendships, it's like, how, <laughs> how do you get there? I have a twin brother. So I would talk to him about it a little bit, but as I reflect back on, you know, how open was I with, with the people in my life who know me best, either in that situation or in other situations where I've been challenging, I would say probably much less open then is optimal. You know what I mean? Like yeah. much, much more. I'm like, you know, life is tough. And so the stuff that's not going well, just like, you know, eat it, suck it up, grind it out. And, and, you know, there's, there's something perhaps noble about that, but in the end it's pretty self-defeating uh, and not really the way to approach it. So, so I think, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of ways to manage these kind of situations. It is sort of, ironically or paradoxically whatever it's in the hands of the person who is struggling mm. you know, often you know it can be in the hands of their friends or whatever but it's often in your hands to say yeah. like i seek help i'm gonna get you know i'm gonna talk to someone yeah. about it and and it's just it's easy to say hard to do the tougher time you're you're having the harder it can be to sort of tell anybody about it um and so that was that's what i experienced yeah. at a very light level I think you hit the nail on the head too. When you said it's brave, right? It's it's brave to, to sit down with someone and be vulnerable. Like, you know, my circle of friends doesn't include many people in the VC world or, or the, the startup world. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's guys not knowing how to sit down and talk about what it is that they're going through at work or, or how to do that. And it's just, the more the the healing is in just saying it. It's just there's a lot of healing in just saying it. Yes, there's professionals and, and and those people are needed too. But there's a lot of healing power in just saying the words, "I'm not okay" or "or I'm stressed out." I'm I'm anxious. Like like guys, we do have a hard time. I, I agree. I, I you know I we're we're doing a big. Uh, launch tomorrow, so I assume this will air after it's happened. Of, of news yeah. for, for the firm, and like I'm driving a lot of that stuff, and and it's like you know it's going fine, but like there's some you know like last minute stuff going on, and you know we started another meeting today, like a strategy and planning meeting that has nothing to do with that, and people are like, you know, how are you doing? You know, in the in the sort of superficial, like how's everyone doing? Yeah, I'm like, I'm very stressed out. I just want you guys to know, <laughs> like, that's awesome. You know, and and that that helps. You know what I mean? You go like, I just want that's that's where I'm at. Like, there's a lot, and then people go, 
you know, hey, do, should we have this meeting? Uh, do you need to focus on other things? No, no, no. There's nothing we can do about it. I'm just telling you, and, and it's yeah. out there. And hopefully that lands and registers in the meeting, and, and people are just a little bit aware of what's going on. So, so you're so right. Just speaking the words, whatever whatever is going on for you, being being transparent uh, is is a very powerful medicine that we control. Like, yeah. it, it just takes a certain mindset. Uh, and as with many things, is e- easy, easier said than done, but also sure. to- totally doable. Yeah. 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 Grab a cup That's of tea and, uh, sit down with a friend. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or who, yeah, whoever you can find. Um, I do want to, cause I know we're going to run out of time and I just want to mm-hmm. go back to the topic of founders scaling with a business, not scaling with the business and, and how you you know, and transitioning sometimes in and out of the business. And also that this is the related topic is companies pivoting and, and, you know, staying the course and, 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 or not. Okay. So, so the, the riff is this, like, like the bet is that the company is going to do really well and the founder is going to scale with the company. That's what we're hoping, but like, it does not always pan out. And on the company side, you know, sometimes you're going to pivot and you're going to pivot again. And at some point you're actually gonna say if it didn't work out that's it it's over like we're not we're not going to keep going uh we're shutting the company down and that's a very fearsome thing for founders and now that i'm in year six or whatever and because we did so many early stage investments and so so many investments total uh i've been through it a few times with founders and and the thing i'll just say is like that is a heavy load for the founder even though the investor for the most part is like hey I already knew that six months ago, so don't worry about it. B, this is the business we're in. We we it, we feel the pain much less. C, you did not let us down. You did your best. You tried as hard as you could. So 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 just to say, like that is everyone has their own destiny, and that is the destiny of many of these companies is to not get over the line and not make anyone mm-hmm. ten, fifteen, a hundred million dollars, and just say it's totally okay. Every founder decides when. You know, because it's also grit, resilience, keep trying, pivot, don't give up. And all those, those are laudable. And it's not like, don't do that. It's like, right. totally do that. But at some point, the story sometimes ends. And like that, the statement is just to say, that is totally okay. Uh, and something that, that if you, you know, if your investor is not like totally fine with that and, and understanding and supportive, well, that is, that ain't right. Because that the investor should know exactly that that's going to happen on the, on the personal side. Sometimes the bet on the company works out, but the bet on the on the founder has an, an end date that is not the same as the bet on the company, right? The company is actually doing okay. The founder has hit their level where they're no longer the the the, the right leader for the company. And this is a very hard thing to talk about because it's sort of like against what the handshake agreement was at the beginning or the best case scenario. But it's, I've just been through this with a couple of founders in my old portfolio. They come in, hey, we may, you know, we have more, uh, we have more gas in the tank, we think in this company, but in the long run, I don't want, I don't want to do it anymore. So these were high self-knowledge people. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something else. And I think that was, I was super impressed in both of the conversations. These just happened last week. And I was like, I see it. Like I can see this, you know, these were companies where it has been hard to move to move it forward. So, so that's, you know, that's one version of the story is like saying I'm, I'm calling it quits. And again, investors usually be like, I could see that happening and I totally understand, but there's, there is, it is, it is the exception. Most founders in that situation do not do that. They kind of like, they do go out kicking and screaming and there's a lot of, of, you know, boards, meeting on the side and coming to the founder and being like, so it's over. Like the company is going to go, but you're not, I don't have a good answer of how to manage that because I think it's very hard to, to kind of turn around and be like, I'm not the leader of this company anymore, but I'm just bringing it up because that is a very real thing. It happens a lot. A successful company that gets all the way to the end of the line with the founder is quite common, but by no means the only thing. There is often a changing of the guard, especially when you get to scale. And so I'm just calling that out as a very complicated sort of thing that that's really that many successful founders have to go through because they were successful, but they couldn't run 
the whole table. Um, so I just wanted to reflect on that. A little yeah, bit. I think that's a, a it's a really interesting point because I think that there's a lot of um, founders or who would who would be CEOs of companies that have scaled who are putting themselves under an immense amount of pressure and stress um, because they don't or didn't realize that that was an option. Um, I know examples of people who have stepped aside and hired maybe like a general manager or, or a title that doesn't feel so um, replacing. Um, and the pressure that that's alleviated has been the difference is allowed them to focus on things that their business that, that make it successful. So I think, I think that's a really interesting point. I, I'm, Again, I don't, there's no, I don't think there's a solution or answer to that. It's more just like an observation that, you know, ego is a very strong thing. And often that outweighs the ability to focus on putting your mental health first. Uh, Cause I think a lot of cases that's, that's what's driving that. Um, and, and, and also there's a lot of, there's a lot of books. There's a lot of mention in the media about founders taking their companies to IPO or to an M and A and, and, and that is the, you know, that is the shot that we're all looking for, right? That is that's the, that's that's the, the paradigm that people want to reach. And and it's a valid paradigm, but it's not yeah, not the only one. No. Um, I just want to speak just to to the point you made before that, because I have experience of this um myself. Like I I closed down a company as we said earlier that you invested in. Um firstly, the conversations that I had with you as we were looking at winding down were nothing but supportive, right? You, you know again, you said, you said to me sort of like, this is something we saw coming. We're not disappointed. You haven't let us down. All of those things you, you said to me that were incredibly helpful in the time, uh, in the moment. And equally, my biggest fear was reaching out to my investors. Um, I think more so my angel investors that have put personal money on the line because, um, because they're not investing other people's money and that's not a discredit to what you're doing. Um, it's just, I think from an emotional perspective, there was a lot more weight there for me. Um, I had huge fear around that. And I had some like decent named Canadian investors that were, that were on our cap table. And in every single case, the first question they asked was, what are you going to do next? And my biggest fear was that shutting my company down meant I was a failure as a, as a founder and CEO. Um, and in many cases we, we, you know, you can chalk it up as we did fail as a company. Um, but my biggest fear was that people were going to look at me as a failed founder and, and not respect me for the next ventures that I, that I decided to do. And every conversation when I told people that I just lost them, you know, hundred thousand dollars of their family money or the personal money, their first question was, what are you going to do next? And they were interested in what I was going to do as an, as an entrepreneur. They weren't like, Oh, what are you going to go get a job? They were like, cool. Like what's next? Like I'm excited for you. And it was, it was so interesting uh, to hear. And, and it was, it was the exact opposite of what I thought was going to happen. And it was, it was incredible. So I think that that's just that's awesome. Well, the investors know one thing they know is the thing we talked about at the beginning, just how hard it is and <laughs> how few people have the stomach for it uh, or the back or the shoulders or whatever. And therefore, when you know someone who has the stomach for it, has been through it, so learned and got tougher and stronger through that, uh, that's, you know, and as long as, you know, they carried themselves well in the, in the process, uh, which you totally did, then, of course, they're like, well, now, now you're battle hardened. So if you want to. <laughs> uh, so I'm not surprised, but it is it is sort of one of those, like, uh, on the face of it, surprising things. Uh, but, but we do know, we know the difference between the, the, the one X difficulty of what we do and the hundred X difficulty of being a founder. Um, there is a lot of, of respect and admiration, uh, within the investor class. And I think for angel investors, the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. The second awesome. thing that they said was, uh, they often told me about their, their failures, <laughs> which was, which was great to hear for sure. And it's funny that the parallels between, Telling an investor that I had the, the company was gonna we were gonna shut the company down and telling people that I have anxiety it's very very similar. My fears were that there was gonna be rejection and you know and there was shame associated with it and and it was always the opposite. Everyone was just like, oh yeah, I like I deal with anxiety. I I you know I've had a I've had panic attacks. I've had X Y Z. So you know the moral of the story is once you talk to people, you realize that you know everyone's dealing with shit, right? Everyone's dealt with something and everyone understands it, and it's just a matter of, of getting out there and, and talking. Well, Isaac, oh. thank you so much for being on. This is, uh, it was awesome <laughs> to talk to you about this. This is, uh, 
this is something that you and I haven't gone deep on before. Um, but we, you know, you know, I've talked a hundred times previously, so I really appreciate you sharing all that stuff and, uh, and yeah, sharing some enlightenment into the, uh, into your world. Yeah. It was fascinating on my, on my end, on my, totally. And, and yeah, I feel, I, I'm hopeful. It makes me hopeful that guys like people in your position are aware and supporting, you know, that's awesome. Uh, I, yeah. I love that guys. Uh, Jamie, super nice to meet you. Topher always fun to jam and, and, and it's a, it's a great forum that you're creating for people to talk about this stuff and, and engage with it. So uh, really happy to have been here. Awesome. Thanks, Thank man. Appreciate much. it. Have a great, uh, great rest of the week and we'll chat. Okay. Bye.